Good morning, Artie. How are you? Hey, how's it going? Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yeah, same. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time and uh, joining the Fit Geek Show. Uh, how's everything in California? Uh, it's it's a uh, it's quite interesting, actually. Um, our our COVID cases are getting worse, and uh, it's looking oh. like it's heading back towards a uh, maybe another shutdown. So, yeah, it's wow. a little tense here, you know. But you know, trying to stay positive and and motivated and all that other good stuff. So, yeah. How about you? Uh, yeah same here i mean in mumbai it's uh, it's the same thing um in uh, in mumbai the lockdown has not been lifted up yet it's still lockdown period and we are still seeing an increase in cases uh but other parts of india they try to lift the lockdown off but the cases kept going up so i think it's going to be lockdown once again so the same here ah man <laughs> It's a tough one. It's tough one that we're dealing with tough this one. time. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, so, Ardi, uh, I'll, I'll quickly introduce you to our audience. So, welcome uh, everybody to the Fit Geek Show. And today we have a very unique guest. So, every uh, week or every time I do the show, I get someone who can share their experience in terms of fitness or fitness research or their own experience or journey of fitness. And um, I heard Ardi's story on uh, Ryan Tillman's podcast. Uh, I saw your YouTube video, and then I, I directly contacted you and uh, asked you whether fitness was a part of your life when you evolved, uh, when you were imprisoned. And I'm so happy and so um, uh, sort of uh, uh, yeah glad that uh, there's a person like you. Not everybody comes out and talks openly about their life like this. Yes. So I really want to congratulate you on that because that requires a lot of courage, and uh, it takes a lot of uh, willingness. Yeah, I appreciate that, and you're right. And uh, I, I made a decision some time ago to uh, step out front and just sort of own the space. I I feel like quite often um, individuals like myself are are made to walk around with this uh, scarlet letter pinned to their chest. Uh, so to speak. And, um, and I decided, you know, I feel like there's empowerment in owning your story and not necessarily uh, submitting all the way to it in a way that just diminishes or limits yourself. Uh, so ever since I have been out front about it, I feel that it's impacted many people. It certainly affects my community. Um, and I use it in mentorship and my own personal growth as well. So it what interested me about your contact was that you were the first person who's ever asked me specifically about physical fitness um, as a coping mechanism in, in those environments. No one's ever asked yeah. me that. So it was so interesting that I was like, I got to jump on this subject. I got to talk about this. <laughs> yes. It's so yeah. Yes, because uh, I can relate to this uh, because uh, I, uh, I was an international student in the U.S., and as soon as I graduated uh, uh, after my master's, I was desperate to look for a job. And I was in Ohio at that time, in uh, Bowling Green, Ohio, which is close to Toledo. And uh, one of the jobs that I applied for was in a prison facility. Huh. So, yeah, as, uh, as a recreational manager or something like that, I would like help them uh, create recreational activities and uh, monitor the gym activities and make them play sports and stuff like that. So I went for the interview and uh, the people there, they just gave me a look because I'm, I'm a little big for an Indian guy, but uh, compared to African-Americans and white Americans, I'm not. So, so they're like, okay. 
and they interviewed me and i think within a week they rejected me <laughs> right. nice yeah yeah so that's when i came to know that you know in in the prison as well they have a lot of fitness activities happening there so in india i don't think it's much, as much as america uh but in america for sure fitness is given importance within the uh within prison areas yes it's it's a significant part of life in prison uh so i'm glad that right. we have a conversation yes <laughs> oh yes me too i'm so excited and so uh rd please tell us a little bit about your background your childhood and how you got sentenced to life imprisonment as a juvenile Okay uh so the sh- I'll keep it brief but the brief story is yes. that I um I was raised in in an environment in California that um was was low income and it wasn't very um it didn't offer as many opportunities uh as as one would have in other areas and um and I went through a lot of a uh, personal trauma and experiences throughout my childhood um and and i talk about this often but i i i did have my grandmother uh she she passed away when i was 13 years old and she had been a, a very positive uh bright spot in my life at that time uh essentially the bright spot in my life at that time she passed when i was 13 and it was at that point that i really started to i want to say devolve like i just started to regress and go back um and i really felt like i was hopeless um i felt like i didn't have a future anymore or any opportunities and all of the positivity that i had in myself up to that point was greatly diminished by the loss of my grandmother and not having any substantial means of coping uh not having a knowledge of i should go and talk to someone maybe i could go to church maybe i could go to counseling maybe i could throw myself in the sports all of the other options that people would tend to have did not come to the forefront of my mind and rather i ended up going out to the streets and i joined a gang and things quickly escalated from there uh i started getting in heavily involved in drug use and all of that culminated into uh making me an individual who was capable of committing crimes and and i did I committed several crimes and by the time I was 16 years old uh I committed a very serious crime. I was tried as an adult which happens in the United States sadly. Uh we try our juveniles as adults and we treat them as adults. Um I was tried as an adult and I was sent to the state prison system uh with a life sentence as a juvenile. So I ended up spending the next 21 years of my life behind bars and paroled in 2015 at the age of uh, 37 so from 16 wow. to 37 yes i uh, that's a, that's a significant chunk of my life um and uh and i'm not saying that i didn't deserve on some hmm. level uh my incarceration hmm. certainly did not deserve to be treated as an adult and and shipped away uh, so i'm very lucky to be here um but throughout those 21 years uh physical fitness certainly played a role in my in my coping. Okay. Oh, I would also great. like to add that cuz I always yes. I always leave this part out for some reason and people are always uh talking about this but during the course of that 21 years I threw myself into at some point I threw myself into changing myself. The actual rehabilitative process. 
I started going to groups. I started doing programs. I started uh, participating in process groups. And I really started to delve deep and go within myself to figure out how I had gotten to that point in the first place. And once I understood how I had been influenced by certain things and how my decisions had come from emotions such as pain or hopelessness, you know, um, uh, or those other feelings, then it really started to change for me because I started to realize that I can now operate in a different way and make different choices if I'm more aware of what my feelings and my thoughts are. So I want to be very clear that that process took place. It took several years. And it was through that that I was able to actually break myself all the way down and rebuild myself back up to get back in touch with my origin. You know, the child that I was before my grandmother passed. So I reconnected with that individual. And now I live spiritually uh, on that same platform as I did when I was, say, seven years old, eight years old. So. Well, yeah. And then you're right. A lot of this uh, awareness that you can go to support groups or you have to look within or, you know, life in general, you just have to accept what things, what, what, what things life throw at you. Those come with uh, some sort of support and education. And if a person's deprived of that, then they're, they're hopeless and, you know, they just don't have a direction and then they end up in the wrong place. Yes, absolutely. Yes. And a lot of the individuals the- that I mentor to this day have gone through similar experiences or are currently going through those similar experiences. And so, being that I've come out on the other side of it, I'm able to now meet them where they're at and I'm able to let them know, here is the cure for what ails you. Here is how you also navigate your way out of this wilderness and back to the person that you are, that you genuinely yeah. are. Yeah. But that's uh, yeah, my story that's in a <laughs> Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, so how many years did you spend in normal prison and how many years did you spend in solitary confinement? Because I'm aware that you did spend a huge chunk in solitary confinement. I did, yes. Uh, I, I spent a total of 21 years uh, in prison, and it was a, a probably about seven or eight of those years, seven to eight of those years that I spent in solitary confinement in Pelican Bay. Pelican Bay is a very notorious prison in California. Yes. They have a supermax facility there called the Segregated Housing Unit, or SHU, and this is where they house the so-called worst of the worst, um, criminals in the state. At that point, I had, I had actually become um, a top-ranking gang member in the state of California, and so that is why they sent me there. And, um, oh. and I ended up spending a total of, of seven to eight years in that place um, before I made the decision to change my life. It was there that I made the decision to change my life. Um, solitary confinement is certainly a different beast. It's a different animal. It is sensory deprivation, at its worst, it is built hmm. intentionally to attack the senses in order to break down gang members in the state. So hmm. you will quite often see very sane people go crazy and devolve in that environment. I certainly saw it a lot. I mean, I, I don't want to get too graphic here, but I've seen people get so far gone that they start throwing urine or they... Uh, start talking to themselves or fighting with themselves. Uh, I've seen all of this happen um, over the course of the years that I was there. And, uh, and it was in that very dark place with no access to sunlight or human contact 
that I really started to question what I was doing with my life. And rather than losing my mind, I ended up finding my heart. So yeah. that, that, that's, that's the story of, uh, um, and they still have it. Solitary confinement still exists. That place is still there. It is now used in a limited way um, because there have been so many calls to eliminate or abolish solitary confinement in California. Um, so it has been drastically reduced, but it still exists and there still are people suffering there now. Well, uh, I mean, I can totally imagine people going crazy there because uh, during yeah. this lockdown phase, there are so many people who were facing depression and, you know, like uh, a lot of mental health problems just due to this lockdown. So imagine not even being around a human being for eight years. I mean, it's quite a lot to deal with. It, it is. I mean, if you think about the quarantine and individuals right now who are, you know, they call this a lockdown and it's just... It's, it's not funny, but it is in a sense to guys like myself and women like myself who have yeah. gone through Because uh, this is really not a lockdown and it could be a lot worse. Um, but that, you're right, that's exactly the case. Like it can be so much worse. And in those environments, uh, speaking about physical fitness, physical fitness was huge for me in solitary confinement. It was if, if it wasn't the number one reason, it was at least number two, but it was probably the number one reason how I maintained mm. my sanity, how I broke up my day. Uh, it was an essential part of my existence there. Um, it's what kept me physically and mentally healthy. Um, so physical fitness played a big part. I mean, there were times when I would go months just doing two a days just to break up my time. You know, I, I would work out in the morning and I'd work out in the afternoon. And we can get into like some of those. I know we're going to get into some of those workout uh, programs. Yeah. Uh, but that certainly played a role in coping in that environment. Wow. Um, what? Sorry. Just. Oops. Sorry. Just a second. I'm getting a call. I just cut it off. Okay. <laughs> can you hear me? I can hear you. And can you hear the, the phone ringing? I did not hear the phone ringing. No. Oh, okay. That's great. Okay. Let's continue. All right. So, um, what was it like, uh, inside prison and did you face any bullying, uh, threats and, um, any regret, uh, that you were in prison at that time? So bullying, uh, not so much. Um, you have to remember that for a significant portion of my life, I was a member of a prison gang. So as mm -hmm. a member of a prison gang, you are afforded, certain protections, uh, certain uh, barriers to having those kind of experiences. So as a member of a prison gang, you're definitely shielded from that. Uh, there's, it's very rare that someone from another prison gang or another population, part of the population is going to attempt to bully you in prison if they know that you're a part of another group. So didn't necessarily have that experience, although I would say internally, there may have been times where uh, someone was more aggressive with me, especially when I was younger, um, because they were trying to shape me into what they wanted me to be. They wanted to shape me into the pinnacle of what yeah. gang activity, you know, looks like. So in order to do that, sometimes you have to be a little rough with someone, you know? Um, so maybe perhaps that, um, yeah. I, I certainly experienced though, bullying, aggression, racism, bias, prejudice, all of those things, intimidation from staff. 
CDCR staff. And it's not to knock every CDCR staff member or CEO, because I can certainly think of a couple individuals that I did run into who definitely just went there and did their job and, and had heart, um, never gave us a hard time, um, just trying to put food on the table for their family. I ran into several CEOs like that. Um, but there are a significant part of the portion of that population who are very intimidating, very aggressive. And I would say those are the bullying experiences. And, and what I'm specifically talking about is imagine walking to go and get your tray of food. And as you're going to get your tray of food, there's just something about you that day that they don't like. So they say, hey, come here, put your hands against the wall. I'm going to pat you down. And then they're just roughly patting you down and talking smack to you the whole time they're doing it. Um, it's like little things like that. Or step out of your cell. They order you to step out of your cell. They come in and they just completely demolish the, in, the uh, inside of your cell. I mean, all of your property strewn about. Imagine all of your pictures of your family just all over the ground with boot marks on them. You know, these are the kind of things that you endure in there um, regularly. So it becomes very normalized. But I certainly did experience that. Um, I think you, there was another part of that question. Uh, oh, yeah. Did you face any regret uh, when you went inside oh, yes. prison that, oh, you know, how did I land up here? And, you know, I didn't, I'm just scared or something like that. Hey. Uh, so initially, I would say no. I would say initially, I, I wasn't so much in touch with regret um, because... Back then, I used to justify my behaviors. I used to justify my actions. You know, oh, this, per this happened to this person because they were living a similar lifestyle. That's just the repercussions of living the lifestyle. That's the consequences. Um, and and in, in that sense, I'm victim blaming. I'm making the victim responsible for their own victimization, right? So I didn't actually start to have regret, remorse, or guilt, or any of those things until I decided to change myself. Once I decided to change myself, I started to realize the effect that I had had on my community in a negative way. And I started participating in programs like Victim Awareness, uh, which exposed me to what victims actually go through and what trauma is and how my trauma led to their trauma, you know, and how all of that connected. So we always say hurt people hurt people and it's used redundantly, but it's so true. Hurt people do hurt people. and I was very hurt, right? So mm. that didn't justify my behavior, but it helped me to understand it more. And it helped me to understand significantly what victims are going through. And that, that knowledge, that a level of awareness of what victims go through and how they're traumatized is sincerely the reason why I do not do it anymore and have not done it since I decided to change my life. It's impossible, almost impossible, to harm another human being once you have reached a level of understanding and awareness about how, the, how that works and how that affects them and their families, it's very, very difficult because now you're aware of what's going on and there's no justification. So Correct. Uh, that's when the regret started to come to me. And what I like to talk, when I talk about remorse, I like to, because some people ask me, what does remorse mean? Um, and what I like to say is that remorse is the feeling of being sorry combined with the action of being sorry. So it's not just enough for me to apologize and say, I'm sorry, this will never happen again. It is also, I am setting an intention to live my life purposely 
purposefully and in a way in mm -hmm. such a way that this never happens again and that is the expression of true remorse because it has now essentially affected my life to such a degree that that decision is off limits to me now so that to me is 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 remorse it is also a part of regret and it's the reason why i uh um am here now talking to you i would not be home if i wouldn't have at some point come in contact with regret now the thing about regret sure. is that regrets can really start to work on an individual i have found that regret although it is positive in the sense that it motivates you to change if you're not careful regret can also lead to a lack of self-forgiveness and that is something that i struggled with for many years because regret is tied to guilt in such a way that you start to kill sure. yourself over and over and over and i used to have this problem where like i was like how do i atone for what i've done if there's no way that i can directly make amends to my victim and there's nothing i can do that will ever sufficiently be enough to make amends for what i've done so that yeah. level of regret made me kick myself for many years and eventually i had to reach a point where i had to accept i had to surrender to the knowledge that at least i'm making the effort my life is a testament to my apology and that has to be enough and once i was able to do that i was able to self forgive and then my regret became healthy regret which is yeah. i'm always going to be sorry that i did it it will it will not happen again um but i will not necessarily poison myself with the regret either it became healthy yeah. regret at that point so that was a very long-winded answer and i apologize but i get passionate about no it. no no that's completely fine it's so along with physical fitness even mental fitness is important and uh, there are a lot of people who struggle through the same thing that you went through not necessarily spending time in prison but maybe just on a family level or something like that and they're um, unable to forgive themselves so that's going to help them a lot so that thanks for that thank you <laughs> yes uh, so how so now we'll dive into the fitness culture within prisons so yeah. how was the fitness culture in prison and how important was it to uh, be fit in order to fit in your gang or uh you know compared to other gangs so was muscularity important was it just ego what was it like uh so initially if you if you are a member of a prison gang chances are that physical fitness is going to be mandatory for you when you get there well uh several groups actually mandate physical activity at least 5 days a week at least an hour uh the group i was a part of certainly did that So 5 days a week for at least an hour I was exercising. Um and that is part of the training for keeping your body ready for riots, for self defense. Um it's it's like an army really. So you're you're training yourself like an army to be physically fit, you want to be uh mentally fit, so you're studying a lot, you're reading a lot, you're educating yourself. Um you also want to conduct yourself professionally with courtesy. um and all of these things are a part of that but physical activity is essential because quite often you will find yourself for example in a situation where you're outnumbered 4 to 1 so how are you expected oh. to yeah how can you defend yourself 4 to 1 if you're just eating chips all day and you're not working out and you're just gaining weight chances are you're going to get very hurt in there so that's the first thing is is self defense and safety The second part of it is coping. Uh a lot of people exercise to break up the monotony. 
and and cope and they don't know that that's why they're coping but i became aware of the benefits of coping through physical activity once i started to change and then for me it became a stress relief so if i was yeah. having a tough day or i didn't receive any uh, any mail or you know uh I was getting disturbing news from home from my family. You know, sometimes you'll hear stuff from your family that they're going through things in life and you feel helpless because you can't help them and you want to as a great son or a great brother and you can't be there to help them. So uh, you start to stress out about it. I would go out to the yard and I would just uh, start to exercise. Now in prison, we, we used to have weights. We used to have uh, benches. We used to have, uh, like you could bench press, you could do curls. We used to have free weights. Um, and all of that went away in the 90s. It was about 1997 when I remember them taking the weights off of the yard. And the reason they took the weights away was because the governor deemed that people were getting too big. And they were coming out to society and they were intimidating people. So that was literally the justification that we, and it's true. There are a lot of people in there who are 6'6", six, 6'5", six, six, 300 pounds, and they're just pure muscle, and they're covered in tattoos, right? So, yeah, these guys are squatting wow. 500 pounds. They're bench pressing 500 pounds. These, are, these were very big men. Um, and uh, and, and the, the ironic part of all this is that they were just coping themselves as well. It really wasn't what the governor was saying. It's just these people were breaking up the monotony and they got into physical fitness. Like they really got into mm. it. It became a passion for them. So as they would try to eat as healthy as they could, and trust me, it's hard to eat healthy in prison. Uh, the food is abhorrent. Um, it's, it's high soy. No, no genuine real beef all the time. Um, vegetables are boiled to the point where a lot of the vitamins are boiled out of them. And so you end up mm. just getting the, the, you get the vegetables, but a lot of the vitamins and minerals are actually in the water. So that gets dumped out and you actually don't get that. Um, and then you'll get like this much vegetables compared to this much slop, you know? So it's like, you really have to make a decision. And if you don't eat that, then you have to go to the canteen uh, or to um, what we call getting packages and you have food sent in from the outside. But those choices are not healthy either. We're talking about chips. We're talking about sausages. We're talking about mm. these packaged, like ready to eat meals, right? High in sodium, high in cholesterol, high in fat, um, certainly not good for you at all. And so you're kind of caught between a rock and a hard place because you want to eat healthier, but it's almost impossible to do that. So what a lot of people do is they get passionate about exercise and they sort of, they do it to counter what they're eating. You know, long distance runners, they will run mm -hmm. for miles and miles and miles and they'll be eating pizza and, and because really it's just getting that carb and they're running and they're running. So in that sense, yeah. it's just energy for the body. And that is essentially what prisoners do. They, they just constantly are doing physical activity, high level um, calisthenics. Um, you're just sweating a lot. Your, your, your heart rate is elevated. I mean, I'm talking about like, really, you're breathing hard, you're, 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 just drenched in sweat and that's to counter mm. the effects of the food that you're eating. So, um, so they got rid of the weights and from that they ended up just having like bars, like pull up bars. Um, we call them dips. I don't know what you guys call yes. them. Okay. So dips. dip bars. Yeah. Yeah. And they would have like uh, sit up stations 
Um, okay. But aside from those bars, it was it really became. Uh, we I know you've heard of burpees, right? Yes. The, yeah. The war. The whole world is doing burpees now, which is so <laughs> funny to me. <laughs> it's so funny to me because that is a prison workout. Like, and <laughs> oh, yes, and people have come out of prison and they have made burpees so popular that they're not, now they're selling them. And you can go on YouTube and you can have like free um, workouts and you're doing burpees. And every time that I've done this, I'm like, I'm back in prison again. I'm just doing the same workouts. Um, but uh, uh, you do a lot of burpees in there. Um, you do different kinds though. What I have noticed out here is that they only really do like certain ones. Like they'll do um, where you will go into push your position and you jump back up, right? Or you'll mm -hmm. go into push position you'll do a single push-up and you'll come back up but in prison mm. we will do two push-ups we'll do push-ups with kicks we will do like there's so many uh different types of burpees in there um but you, that's a big part of it for us that is the um that's the the part of the what we call the calisthenic part of it the you know the burpees is for that and then for lifting weights, now you have people who roll their mattresses up and they'll put their books and blankets and they'll shove them in mattresses and they'll wrap sheet around the mattresses to make handles. And then they'll curl those wow. mattresses. And uh, yeah, people get very, um, they're very, um, it's like having ingenuity. It's very like, you know, people are very creative when it comes to finding ways yeah, to yeah. out in there. <laughs> For mm. sure. But that that's essentially what is in prison now is the bar work, and then you just trying to figure out what you can use for weights, you know, and making it in your cell. So, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Even I've seen uh, prisoners, especially in America, were like six, six and jacked. And so I, I just wonder when you tell me that uh, if the food is not the best, uh, do they engage in any anabolic steroids inside the prison area that makes them jacked or anything like that? The animals? No, anabolic steroids. Oh, no. I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that some of the food that is fed to us there probably has like hormones and, and other things added to it. Um, are you talking okay. about just steroids, steroids? Yes, yes, bodybuilding steroids. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, I, I remember there was a time when people used to get creatine uh, sent in. Okay. Um, I actually did a cycle of that myself um, a, a long time ago. I would say around 2003. Uh, my cellmate and I, we did a couple cycles with creatine. It worked for me. It worked very well, actually. Mm -hmm. um, had to drink lots of water. And I didn't really mm -hmm. understand too much about creatine other than kind of what the effects were on the body because I, I studied a little bit about it. Um, but I can say that it genuinely works. But other than that, most people have no access to anything that is a supplement or I mean, they sell them, but most people don't buy them. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. I was under the impression that, you know, they might be sneaking in like steroids from somewhere or something like that. No, I've never seen anyone sneak in steroids. Um, I, I'm not saying it's not impossible to do so, but I've never seen anyone do it. Um, although I have seen them do like other things, like I'm saying, like creatine or um, uh, amino, right. you know, things of that nature. Yeah, and you can order protein okay, awesome. powders uh, through your packages. Okay. So a lot of people do take protein supplements. Ah, okay. Yeah. Okay, so there is some freedom of supplementation uh, and they're not deprived of everything. Yes. 
and 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 quite oh, often okay. that supplement especially the protein supplement is uh it's a great way to replace um the very poor types of meat that they're feeding you in prison so you know i i came home in 2015 i've been home for five years now i think back to like i th imagine them giving me a tray right now with that meat on it and it's just like there's no way i could ingest that or put that in my body you know so I would be in big trouble if I ever went back and had to eat that food again. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, yeah, I can totally understand. Um, all right. So my next question is, yeah, so your workout plans uh, during solitary confinement, what did you do exactly by yourself? Yeah, so uh, what I used to do was I would wake up at, um, I'd wake up at about 5 a.m., uh, about 5.30 a.m., I would start doing burpees and uh, I would do a lot of burpees, push-ups. Um, we have different names for, for what I, I see people doing these same exercises out here, but we had different names for them. Uh, like we have mountain climbers and I don't know that they call those that out here, but that's your push-up position and you're kicking your knees up uh, to your chest. Yes, yeah, the same. Yes. Right. Right. Like bicycling on the, on the ground. Yes. Um, yes. Okay. So like uh, I would do a, about 30 to 45 minutes of that high intensity, high level um, activity, I'd get my heart rate up. And then I would either call it and say, this is it until the afternoon. Or I would, from that point, I would create my weights, I would wrap up my mattress, and I would start to do my curls, um, or, or back arms, because you can wrap up your stuff, you know, you put it in a pillowcase, for example, and then you're just coming behind and you're and you're working out your, your triceps. Um, triceps. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, so that's when I would do like the heavier portion of my workout uh, would be after that. And the whole workout, the routine would take about an hour. Um, and then I would just bathe in my cell and then I would eat my breakfast and then I'd start to read or study. Um, so I always felt that that morning exercise in solitary confinement it, it cleared the way for me mentally and physically to be ready for the rest of my day. It was like a positive way to start my day. It was great for my mental health. Um, and like it, it removed a lot of the toxins that, that, that the place mm -hmm. tries to use in you. Um, and, uh, and so I would start that way. And if I was doing two a days, then I would just do the uh, high level, high intensity calisthenics in the morning. And then in the afternoon is when I would shift over to the heavier stuff. Um, but I would do that five days a week uh, for at least an hour. And, uh, and then we did have people living around us. So in solitary confinement, there's actually eight people living in your space. Um, you can't okay. see them, right? And you can't touch them, but they're there. And there's eight people. And sometimes we would be friendly enough where we would all exercise together. And so we would have a leader, someone would lead the exercise, for example, the burpee exercise, and they would tell us, okay, here's the type of burpee that we're gonna do, and here's the number, the amount that we're going to do, the repetitions. And then we would jump in with that person and, and we would count it out. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, two. And we would just do that for about 45 minutes. Um, and in that way, you're sort of group sharing the exercise, which I felt was also great for mental health because it was interaction amongst us. It was, 
uh, commiseration. You know, it's, it's a shared experience and we're all going through this together. Um, and then afterwards, everyone bathes and showers and then maybe we start playing chess or uh, uh, something like that. Yes, they do play chess um, in that environment. Well, you cannot physically move with your partner, but you can yell out the, the boards will have numbers on them and you can yell out the numbers and then that's the moves. <laughs> wow, wow. I never would have thought that something like this happens inside. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> it's so crazy. You know, I got so into chess for a while that I used to, I studied a lot of chess books and I started playing postcard uh, uh, correspondence chess. And I was playing chess games through postcards with people all around the world. And a game, one single game could take two and a half years to finish. <sighs> And you're just sending one move at a time via postcard. And, uh, and I really got into it. And, and I ended up elevating myself to like a low-level master. Um, and I was very proud of that accomplishment because um, they have rankings. And, uh, but that was also a part of my, my mental uh, self-care, mm. you know, challenging my mind, making myself think uh, as a chess player, you know, losing myself in the moves. You know, I, I feel like the physical and mental – um that there's a correlation and they both need one another mm -hmm. i can be very mentally healthy but if i'm not physically taking care of myself it will affect me mentally at some point so i experienced that so wow well that's great uh, somebody just commented they just said shit <laughs> oh <laughs> yes that's my friend actually. yes exactly <laughs> that's well said <laughs> All right. So, um, that's funny. So, uh, how many years into solitary confinement did you realize that you needed to change now and you started barging forward? Uh, I'd say, uh, it was probably around the, the sixth or seventh year. It was around this year six, I think where, uh, I really started to, I started to change. I started to grow up. You know, the thing is, is you <laughs> cannot help but mature. At some point, you will grow up, and, um, and like it or not, your mentality will evolve to a point where you can no longer lie to yourself, and that is what happened to me. The older I got, the more I questioned, the more I was unsatisfied, and so I really started to realize, like, I'm, I'm literally wasting my life right now. I'm sitting here, and I'm wasting my life. I'm not being productive. Um, sure. I'm not contributing to community or society in a meaningful way. And this is not okay with me. I, I no longer like the life that I'm living. And it happened around year six, I believe. And so I struggled with that for an, at least another year. Um, hmm. uh, because of course, there's fears related to walking away from that, not just fears of the gang itself, but fears of, hmm. but internal fears. If I walk away from hmm. everything I've ever known, then who am I? Who am I going to be right. if I walk away, right? Like, you really struggle with that. And, and there's this, a level of comfortability in, in being a part of something for so long that even though it's negative, at least you know what you're a part of and you have a sense of identity. Right. When you are faced with walking away from that, it is very, it's devastating and it's very difficult. That was more of a barrier to me walking away than the gang was, was my own mental block my own fear, mm -hmm. right? So once I was able to get past that, then I made the decision, I walked away, 
And that was around like year seven or so. Um, and, uh, and that's when it, I said, you know, enough is enough. I've grown out of this. This no longer suits me. I'm smarter than this. Um, not to toot my own horn, but like, there's a, there's a point where it's like, I was meant to do better things, greater things, mm -hmm. you know? So, so I walked away from that. Uh, my physical activity did not end there, but, uh, but my mental change did it, 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 that's when it happened. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Um, I know, uh, so, uh, in yoga, are you, are you aware of yoga? Oh uh, yeah, I do a uh, hot yoga out here when, when, well, before the quarantine. Yeah. A big fan of hot okay. yoga. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so hot yoga, hot yoga is more of like a westernized concept to make it right. more interesting. Uh, but, uh, but the original yoga, which is more spirituality and finding yourself. Um, so a lot of yogis, uh, uh, who want some sort of enlightenment, um, and realization, they move away from the worldly life and they go into, uh, not solitary confinement, but something like solitary confinement. They go to caves, they go to jungles and they meditate. Mm -hmm. uh, they're away from everything and they just meditate and then they realize the truth. So I think somewhere, uh, it's according to my opinion, I think somewhere solitary confinement, uh, time to yourself helped you realize that what was happening was not, the, not right and you needed a change, I feel. Yes. Yeah, I would, I would tend to, I would so agree with that. You are in the cave. And so just like those yogis, you're, you're away from, you're away from everything that would block you mentally or spiritually from coming to a conclusion. So by removing themselves, they're able to dive deep within and they're able to tap into right. that energy, to that current. They're able to tap in spiritually, uh, to be so attuned with themselves and with nature that nothing there's nothing left other than pure truth, right? Hmm. So in a sense, what you're describing is what happened to me in the cave, for sure. I was faced with pure truth. Um, I started to tap into myself. And, you know, I wouldn't have been able to reconnect with that inner part of myself had I not been in and removed away from everyone else for that amount of time. So I, I definitely, hmm. um, I, I find that yoga is, uh, um, for me, it is calming. Um, it's definitely, it's definitely less intensive than the workouts that I used to do. Um, but I also mm -hmm. find that it provides balance. Um, I find that it's calming to my mind. There, there's a sense of meditation that takes place while you're going through the yeah. moves and while you're, yeah. And you're in the positions and you're stretching and, um, it's almost like, it's almost like you're experiencing a fluidity of self and in that fluidity, you are no longer just human, but you're, you're actually moving with the universe, if that makes any sense. Mm. And I know that's very yes, deep, yes, yes. but that's the experience mm. there, you know? So I, I definitely can relate to that. I love tapping into that. I feel there's nothing more transformational than exercising in such a way that you are tapping into spiritual truth and spiritual purity. Yes. I mean, that's a beautiful thing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You must sure. be, are, are you big on yoga yourself? Um, surprisingly, not too much. Uh, but I am planning to get into it now. Nice. Uh, I'm thinking of it, of, uh, you know, learning it. I, I used to practice yoga when I was in school because they taught us there. Uh, but after that, um, because of reading, you know, different things that, you know, yoga is only for old people. It's really small uh, in nature. It's really light on you. And you know, it's not going to help you grow muscle. I did not really uh, pay attention to it much. But now I will for sure. 
That's that's amazing. You know, they are doing that out here too. Uh, I've noticed that they're starting to do yoga for students out here, and uh, I think it's a it's great to introduce children to yoga. Um, yeah, you start to put them to connect them and plug them into what we were just talking about at an early age. Yeah, I mean, that's a beautiful yeah. thing. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you pointed that out because and, and and the fact that you guys get to go through that um, in your own in your own like schooling. I mean, that's just an amazing experience. Yeah. So. <laughs> Very inspiring. Yes, yes, uh, that's great. Thanks. Um, all right. So, uh, how was your feeling? What What did you feel once you were released from prison? Oh man, uh, like a million bucks. <laughs> I felt great. Like it was amazing. Like, you know, I have to say that um, I, I felt amazing. But as you remember from my uh, podcast appearance with Ryan Tillman, um, yeah. I also talked about like some of the the PTSD like symptoms I started to experience when I came home. I certainly did not know those were going to come. I didn't know they were there. I had no idea. I didn't plan for them. Uh, I it really hit me like a ton of bricks and I did not know that. Um, but thankfully where I was where I came home to uh, I had time. I had time to adjust. I had time to uh, to exercise. So and then when I came home I did have access to weights and I did have access to if I wanted to go out and go for a jog, you know, I could run through the city or, um, you know, I, I could work out with other people um, where we're motivating each other. But uh, I certainly I was very grateful to be home, but it was certainly a struggle at first uh, mentally because I was not prepared for the fact that all of the trauma that I experienced was living in my body and as much as we tend to try to rid ourselves of toxin and negativities and, and you know, and all these things, it's, it's almost impossible to rid yourself of trauma unless it's directly addressed. And so thankfully when I came home, I came to a place that offered processing on the outside. So I was able to actually go into groups and just let it out. Here's what I'm experiencing. Here's what I'm going through. Like I'm terrified out here. I don't know this world is fast. It's loud. It's, uh, it's not, I'm not accustomed to it. And I don't know that if I'm going to make it and I'm scared and, you know, I was able to be very honest about these things and, and to get that support, uh, someone just holding space for you and allowing you to, to, to get your emotions and, and, and express yourself. Um, all of that was available to me. So it helped in my, uh, in my, uh, acclimating to society, but overall, I was very grateful. I was very excited. And, and, I, and I came out and I was like, I don't know how I'm going to make it, but I'm definitely going to start throwing myself into it because I always had the hustler mentality. I always had that hustle spirit. Um, definitely a hard worker, definitely ambitious, definitely willing to, uh, to start from the bottom and work my way up. I was always like that. So I simply transitioned that uh, from in there to out here. And that's what hmm. led me to my uh, career now. So. That's great. Yeah. Um, that's great. Yeah, yeah. I, I love your confidence. The way you said that I'm, I'm a hustler. I, I'm, I'm going to work hard. All day, baby. I hustle all day. I never yeah. stop. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. So what message would you like to give to the youth um, who might be in your shoes uh, that you were when you were 16? Uh, who are going through emotional, financial, physical pain, abuse or something like that, and they want to resort to criminal activities just to 
justify what's happening with them or just because they don't know what's going on? Yeah. Uh, so I, I thankfully have had some experiences where I've been able to go and speak to youth. I mentor a lot of people out here. Um, these are things I, these are the things that I don't post. So a lot of the stuff that you won't see on my social media is uh, yeah. people I'm working with, um, families I'm helping, uh, people on the inside that I'm writing letters for. Uh, a lot of that stuff mm -hmm. I, just, I keep to myself um, because there's, I think that there's promoting yourself and branding yourself. And then there's like some stuff that is sacred. And I think right. working with people and helping people is not something that uh, is to be bragged about, but just done from the heart, you know? So, yeah. so I, I bring that up just to say that I've had the opportunity to work with a lot of youth and to talk to them. And the great thing about me is that because I was 16 years old when I committed my crime and when I was sentenced and tried as, a, as an adult, I was their age when all this happened. So a lot of times when adults are attempting to work with youth and they're trying to steer them in the right direction, the feedback that they receive is, you don't understand what I'm going through. You didn't grow up like me. You don't come from where I come from. You don't understand. Like they get a lot of that. Yeah. And, and on some level, a lot of these adults are like, you know, you're right. I'm just trying to do the right thing here and, and give you other options but you're right. I didn't grow up like you did. I don't understand entirely what you're going through. I'm attempting to empathize, but I don't, you know, with me, it's impossible to do that. I was, mm. you. I was you in every sense of the word. And in fact, for most of the kids that I deal with, I tell them not only was I you, I was worse. So the fact that I'm able to talk to you right now and you still have a chance is a beautiful thing because by the time I was your mm -hmm. age, I was going away for life. So yeah. once I tell them that, I reach them in a different way because they connect to that in a way. You have to understand that the, these youth, a lot of times what they connect to is, it's, it's almost a fear and a respect of someone who's been through it or what they feel is like a big homie, a big homie, right? So <laughs> yeah, you're someone who's, wow, this person's, you've been there, you've done that, you know? And it's that awe that although I would never promote that, I would say that there, it is useful in the sense that it connects me enough to where they will now mm -hmm. listen to what I have to say. They are now open mm -hmm. and receptive to the message, right? So I connect myself mm -hmm. with them that way first. I come down, I meet them on their level, and then I always tell them, you don't have that excuse with me. I come from where you come from. I know exactly what you're going through, right? And then here's what I like to tell them every single time. I have been where you are striving to go. I've been at the top of what you think that you're gonna uh, achieve later in life. Mm -hmm. And let me just tell you, it's not worth it. You get all the way to the top and you realize it was a complete waste of time. You're gonna be very disappointed in what you find up there. It's just simply not worth it. If you actually stopped what, stopped what you're doing now and actually started to apply yourself shift that hustle mentality over to something positive, like producing or, or being a manager or a supervisor, going to college. By the time you're my age, you could be retired as a millionaire. It's completely possible if you do that now, yeah. if you make that change. But I'm telling yeah. you, in the end, and this is what I always tell them, it is inevitable that at a certain point you will get to where you're going 
And when you get to be my age, no matter what, you're going to say, this is ridiculous. I'm done with this. I'm out of here. It happens to everybody. Trust me, no prison gang members reach retirement age. Everyone walks away. At some point in time, everyone calls it quits and says, I'm done with this. And why is that? Because you cannot fight with truth and win uh, for that long. Eventually, truth mm. wins out and you see the truth. And so what I try to tell these kids is just realize the truth now. Don't wait 20 years like I did. You know, see the truth now and you have so much potential and you can do such great things in life. And, and, and I have to give them credit. Uh, a lot of these kids do listen. Um, they still end up going through stuff that 18 year olds and 19 year olds and 20 year olds go through, right? Some of them get themselves in a little bit of trouble. Um, but ultimately, uh, they tend to hear the message and they're like, okay, you know, maybe I'll think about like getting a job then, you know, and, and then also a lot of these teenagers are parents already, you know, a lot of them already have kids. And so, yeah. And so what I like to, t when I, when I run into that situation, it becomes a question of, is your child less important to you than your lifestyle? Yeah. Because if you're, and, and if it is, who's going to raise your child? What I like to point out to them all the time is, who's going to be the stepdaddy? Who's going to be the stepdaddy <laughs> that raises your kid and is with your girlfriend? And they'll be like, oh, hell no, that will never happen. I'm not going to ever allow another man to raise my child. Really? Because the plan that you have right now is that. That is your plan, right? Your choices are making that the plan. So in order, to, in order for you to be a father and to be in their life and to be in her life, that does not line up with this lifestyle. So you have something to think about, don't you? And a lot of times that's where I connect with them as well. So um, bro, I, I, I love the youth. I was the youth. I, I do everything I can and I will always do everything I can to ensure that another 16 year old uh, does not commit a crime like I did, does not go away for as long as I did. Um, I will never stop doing that as long as I live. It's, I'm very passionate about that. Um, but uh, I just wish I had more opportunities. It's difficult sometimes because of my job, you know. I work a lot of hours. Mm -hmm. So, mm. but uh, if I could, I would reach a lot more children. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. So that was my next question. So what are you doing as a career right now? Uh, so uh, I, I'm a writer and uh, I'm also getting into producing. Uh, I've been doing that for some time now. Uh, and as you learned on the podcast, I'm also uh, starting to I'm starting to develop my own brand around um, being formerly incarcerated. Like I said, owning the space. Um, I'm developing a series called Lessons from a Lifer and which <laughs> I explained on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> my thing is. I want to, on behalf of everyone I've ever known who's incarcerated, I want to represent the counter or the anti to what people think of when they think of formerly incarcerated individuals. Everyone has this yeah. image in their mind of how I'm supposed to act, how I'm supposed to speak, um, what I'm supposed to look like, think like. They, there's all of these uh, assumptions over individuals like myself. And I want to flip that entirely on its head. I want to take that whole concept and just flip it on its head, right? Because I've been yeah. home for five years now and crime-free, haven't had a traffic ticket, haven't had any kind of run-ins with the law or anything. I'm a law-abiding citizen. So I want to be that for people. 
I want to symbolize that change is possible, that rehabilitation does work if you apply yourself, that going inward, deeply inward, is the key to change, mm -hmm. to lasting change, right? Like the yogis, putting yourself yeah. in the cave for a while and like really reconnecting with yourself. And you start to understand like, oh, my behaviors are linked to my emotions and my beliefs. Yes. And once you start to understand that, then you can start challenging the beliefs that you have right now, one at a time, right? So, um, so I'm a writer, a producer, and then I also, I'm working as a location scout, um, which is my, my career right now is I'm a location manager in television shows. Mm -hmm. So I work in TV. Um, I've been working in television now for probably about four years, um, almost five years, almost the whole time I've been free. Um, I've been working in television. Uh, I love it. Film has always been my, my lifelong dream and career. So working in the film industry to me is like, I, I literally am the person that was able to have the career that they always wanted. You know, I want to mm -hmm. be a fireman when I grow up. I want to be a police officer. I want to be whatever, right? Uh, I was like, I want to work in Hollywood and that's what I'm doing. Um, but that's also a big part of the message, right? Is it's never too late to turn your life mm -hmm. around and to plug yourself back in and to connect with opportunity and really just put it out to the universe. This is what I'm trying to do with my life. And the universe listens. It really does. And it listened to me and it responded. And that's why I get to do what I do for a living. So very proud, very happy. <laughs> awesome. I mean, that was really powerful. I think this is the first time ever that I'm ending right on time because after one hour, this live gets cut off by itself. Okay. I think we just have two minutes left. Okay. Um, the talk was so deep, so profound, uh, powerful, and it is great to see a person like you who has made such a big change. And you've not just made a change for yourself, but you're also helping others who are going through the same. So uh, more power to you. And I saw a lot of positive comments and like likes and hearts and everything like that. Um, I Thank hope and pray that, uh, yeah, <laughs> I hope and pray that you... Uh, get more opportunities to help more people and also to succeed in your own career. Thank you so much. I want to say thank you to you for the invite and to everyone who has tuned in here. Um, and then just one last note about physical activity. That is one of the best ways right now to deal with quarantine and lockdown. Get out and walk, get out and hike, uh, go move your body. Uh, it, it, it helps you mentally to know that you can move your body to make you feel less trapped during these times. And I love you guys. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so much, Artie. And I hope you stay safe and have a good day. Likewise, brother. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. Yes, for sure. Bye. All right.